Hello, my name is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia with a message to all those that are hungry and thirsty for reality, for ultimate meaning and destiny in your lives. You've come to the right place. Whoever is thirsty, come and let him drink freely of the water of life. For those of you that are new, I want to explain that I am here to share about the very ultimate source of reality that is the source of all that consists and exists. The very source of creation which is an ultimate perfection of love, an ultimate manifestation of love that is also the very source of love. So you can check out at my website at ultimatemeaning.com a flip book that I have written that has very original understanding and writing by the gifting of the Spirit of God through me to you. And there's a lot of print that is highlighted in red. Those are links to very profound and amazing YouTube videos confirm from many fields of science and archaeology the reality of what I am sharing here. And I am sharing about the very meaning and purpose for your life. And without this, your life has no meaning and no purpose whatsoever. I've recently written a book on the afterlife, which you can find on Amazon titled Afterlife Incredible Irrefutable. That's a 368 page book in a large paperback, six by nine, and you can get it also in Kindle. Hopefully, in the future, I'll have it on audio. It's highly referenced with many links going to exact locations in YouTube videos and so on. So, I want to share with you today that are new, how I share these messages as well. They are for those that have come to know the one true God for whom to know is life eternal, as it says in John 17 in the Bible. And of course, that's all explained in my website at ultimatemeaning.com, where there's also a large video that you can look at there. I mean, large in the fact that it fits across the whole length of the paragraph and it goes into detail to show who the one true eternal God could only possibly be and I will briefly describe that he as I have said this is an ultimate perfection of love and it's a, quite amazing what I share there in detail about this so please Look at that video if you're new. So the way I share these messages for those that are also new, that have come to know through Jesus Christ, the one true God for whom to know is life eternal, is I seek to allow the Spirit of God to speak through me as it says in 1 Peter 4.11, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. And that is what I will seek to do, is to allow God to rise up by his spirit through me and to speak. And so I don't have anything prepared, virtually nothing, except I know the chapters and so on. Now there's another scripture that says, worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What testifies to the reality of God in Jesus Christ comes out of worshiping God in spirit and in truth with great reverence and humility and love towards God so that we are filled with the Spirit of God and an overflow that results in utterances coming forth beyond ourselves. And so I will seek to speak this message prophetically or as the oracles of God by seeking to be in a heart set and a mindset of worship while I am speaking here to hear what God by his spirit is wanting to say to you as an individual and especially to the churches in Canada where I live here and across the United States and certainly around the world. 
Yeah, United States is the epicenter of so much terrible destruction and impending judgment and destruction that we see about to unfold upon the earth, except it be for the intervention of God to grant us a season of time before this judgment comes. So what I do to facilitate speaking as the oracles of God is to cast lots before God using two independent random applications on the internet that give me the possibility of any chapter from the Bible. I use two to get two chapters so that those two chapters would bear witness with each other as to the theme. Then I meditate on them for only a half an hour and speak. Now this time I'm speaking a lot later instead of immediately after meditating on the chapters. And I really don't even hardly know very much about what I'm going to be speaking on. But I'm trusting God to speak through me what he is wanting to say at this particular time on March the 22nd of 2023. In a time when obviously the world is on the brink of some serious economic downturns that could be worse than anything ever known before in history, as well as, and pardon a little bit of noise in the background for a few minutes there, as well as the, the uniting of China and Russia recently and that terrible war and the possibilities of even of even nuclear exchange. We're living in a very serious time. And I'm here wanting to speak whatever God is saying. And so before we go into the two chapters that I received by the casting of Lot, I always choose a song that I find would be the most fitting and appropriate to go with this message. And so that's what I have here today. And so we will go with this worship song that I have picked for today. And that comes from a playlist. Now, I don't <clears throat> have it on the playlist here, but I clicked on YouTube to get it from YouTube, so there wouldn't be other things in the way. But this is from my playlist on my website at loverewise.com. That's loverewise.com. There's a worship song link there on the top menu, and you have very high-quality songs all that can be used on an overhead projector if you have connection with the internet to play a YouTube video. It shows the words and the background, and I choose very high-quality worship songs. There's a few there I'm not too fussy about that I might remove because I'm so very concerned that the words have depth and meaning, that they're congregational, that they can be used with, and also have beautiful music and singing. And so we will play this song now <clears throat> out of, I don't know, probably well over a hundred worship songs up there now that are high quality. <clears throat> so I'll just go ahead with that. <clears throat>
wonderful a song that is. How wonderful a song. Indeed, that is. There's so much meaning in those words about entering into a relationship with Yahweh, the Almighty's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, when I say this word Yahweh, the Almighty's, it is the way often the word is described in the Old Testament. When it, in English, it's the word Lord and then God. The word Lord is usually Yahweh. Some like to pronounce it Yehovah, but it's more accurate Yahweh. And the other word for God is Elohim, which literally means the Almighty's plural, referring to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I know for some reason in prayer, I don't know why, but for some reason in my prayer life, when I talk to the Lord and I say, Yahweh Almighty's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I love you. I don't know why, but I just get filled with such joy, unusually, when I say it that way. Now, I'm not saying you have to say it that way. But it's just my personal experience that there's incredible joy when I dress the Lord with Yahweh, Almighty's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I love you. So I don't know why that is. I'm not making it into, not saying that people should have to do it the way I do it. All I know is the Holy Spirit sure rejoices when I dress God, the Almighty's, that way. And of course, Yahweh basically means the ultimate reality, the one that is the ultimate source of all creation, separate and above and beyond creation. Now, I won't go into it, but of course, God is in three personages because he must rule in the three ultimate aspects of existence. And when you rule over a realm, you must be in conscious intelligence to be ruling in and over it. And so, as the Father, he is beyond creation. The Son, he is the Father fully expressed into creation. That's the second ultimate aspect of existence. And then there is omnipresence, the Holy Spirit, filling all dimensions of creation and time with and onto the Father. And so, for God to be almighty, he must be in three personages for that fact alone. And of course, there's an inter union of oneness between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit as well, which allows for enlargement of love and of fellowship. And if you were an ultimate being like that, in order to rule in the three ultimate aspects of existence, you'd also have to be in three personages to do it, right? Anyhow, that's just a little explanation for those that are new, that may think we believe in three gods. No, we believe in only one God, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth, and that spirit is addressed as Yahweh. So, Yahweh is in the Father, Yahweh is in the Son, Yahweh is in the Holy Spirit, because Yahweh is the very being of God's love, of his very being. Now, I'm just going to um, begin now to go to the two chapters I received. Um, first of all, we'll just go there. But I'm going to point out that I didn't preach yesterday, and I feel that the message that I got yesterday was probably more significant even than today. And so we're going to start with yesterday, which may be the main message, which is Proverbs 17 and Zechariah 13. And I did cast a third one, but I forgot to put down the um, exact chapter it was, but I do have the verses. Somehow I didn't paste them in by accident, but it's this right here. So anyhow, we will begin to just go into this. And I want to emphasize that the overarching theme I see in these two chapters has to do with purity and the execution of that purity coming forth because we are purified with God's word being brought forth in an effectual, powerful way through us because it is so pure. We are all in a process of what is called sanctification or being purified 
from those areas of deception and corruption in our lives as believers. And as we are purified, we do grow and the corruption is thrown off the old nature, the old man as it is called as well in the New Testament, and is replaced by the new man. That doesn't mean that our identity as a soul is being removed, but that our soul is actually becoming more enhanced with the way God intended us to be created and not be distorted by the uh, things that are marred in our soul from sin, from past generations, and from the things that we have possibly deceived ourselves in and become rebellious against. There's a little buzzer going off here, and I'm going to just turn it off for the moment here very quickly. And um, because I'm preaching later, there's certain things that happen sometimes. And I'm going to um, just continue with the message here. So I'm just continuing here now with um, Proverbs, beginning with Proverbs 17.3, which I received, Proverbs 17, by the casting of lot. We read, the fining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord trieth the heart. The Lord trieth the heart. We know that God tries our heart and it takes heat and pressure for silver to be purified and gold to be purified. It's described in the book of Peter, I think, Second Peter, that the trying of our faith is much more precious than gold that perishes. And it's comparing it to it being melted and the dross coming to the surface and being skimmed off until there's no dross and you can see the reflection in your, of your face in that because it has been so purified. And it is a known fact that gold can be purified to the extent that it becomes transparent like glass, but that it is not possible with present technology in this world to purify it that way to such a degree. But it emphasizes the point that I'm making here, is that God is wanting us to understand that for us to be brought into a place where our heart, after being tried, is brought in alignment with his heart, means a process similar to the purification described in this verse. And of course, there's a few other verses in Proverbs 17 that may not fully be seen in the light of this, but there is, you can see how it relates. So verse 10 to 11, a reproof entereth more into a wise man than a hundred stripes into a fool. An evil man seeketh only rebellion, therefore a cruel messenger shall be sent to him. What is this saying here? It is saying that for those to be purified, they must have an unrebellious attitude towards God. An attitude of surrender, of yieldedness. What did Christ say to the church of Laodicea that had deceived itself into becoming lukewarm? He said to them that I counsel thee to buy me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and that thou anoint thine eyes with eyesalve that thou mayest see. And he goes on and mentions the raiment needing to be changed as well. That cannot happen if we are rebellious because if we're rebellious, we're going to say, I don't believe you. I don't receive the fact that my eyes are blind. The attitude that God is calling his people to have is one of total, unconditional moral persuasion in who he is, in his love, so that we are willing to lay down our lives out of love for God. This involves great reverence and respect for who God is. It is the opposite of a teaching I heard from someone that said that when God created Adam, 
He created Adam equal with God, and in every way, Adam was not subordinate to God, and that in every sense of the word, Adam was fully God manifest in the flesh. That is a total antichrist teaching. That totally negates the genuine fear of God that we acknowledge that God is our source and that without him, you're actually less than nothing because we can be put into an existence of torment, which is worse than being nothing. Because he is the source of life and he is right and just in his judgment because he is an ultimate perfection of love. And if we rebel against love, what are we rebelling against? The very source of what is constructive unto greater pleasure in life. We are then in a state of total corruption, which is a state of being that is anti-life. It is hell contagious. It will cause a hell around us. God wants us to not be someone that is so devalued in our quality of being that we're anti-life, that we're worse than existence. He wants us to be valued, and he wants to value us because he created us with that potential. He created us with the potential to love. He didn't create us as robots, right? Robots is just information from an outside source being put into something. I don't care how great this... ID technology is and they are worried that it's going to take over and conquer man and all this nonsense because they're filled with their own conceit and pride when they don't even consider the fact that there are multiple dimensions far superior than the physical dimension which has been revealed from particle physics and the mathematical analysis of all that I mean I could go on and talk about the afterlife that's all in my book but what I'm pointing out here a cruel messenger will be sent the opposite, those that rebel against the word of God or deceive themselves into a rebellious teaching that is antichrist will eventually, according to this, have a cruel messenger. Instead of them becoming the messengers of God, a cruel messenger is sent to them eventually because they reap what they sow. And maybe it's possible then they will repent if God, if there's the chance, or if they haven't so hardened themselves, that that messenger sent takes them to hell because they die or whatever. Now we go on and we read. A man void of understanding striketh hands and becometh surety in the presence of his friend. A man void of understanding is a man that has a hard heart. This is very clearly explained in the Word of God in Ephesians, that it was their understanding was darkened because of the hardness of their hearts. And so what causes one to be void of understanding is a heart that has been hardened against God. And God is calling his people in this hour to repent of the loves of the world, which is what causes the hardening of the heart, where we focus our energy and our desires and our wants at such a degree upon the things of this life to the neglect of abiding in a loving relationship with God. For example, spending hours watching sports instead of spending hours in seeking God in prayer each day to break through into his presence and know that wonderful fellowship with him. I'm not telling you that it's wrong to watch sports if you need to relax a bit. Who am I to judge you and put you under bondage? But I am warning you that these things, just like alcohol can be a stumbling block to someone that tends to be an alcoholic, can draw one away and bring them into a state of rebellion so that they are continually deceived into addictions of this life that eclipse or completely cut off their relationship with God so they are cast forth as a branch that is withered. We go on to read here, Proverbs 17, 24, Wisdom is before him that hath understanding, but the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. In other words, People that just want to live up their life and travel and do all these things and they're just living for themselves. Like it says in James, you should say, if the will of God be so, we'll go here and there and not just say, 
oh, we're going to go do this, and we're going to do that, and I want to do this, and I want to travel over here, and I want to see this country, and oh, I want to enjoy this. No. Have you asked God if he wants that for your life? As it says in James, we are to say, God, if it's your will, I will go here. I will not do anything without your leading in my life. I'm on a mission here on earth. I'm not living for myself. My eyes shouldn't be on the ends of the earth. And so, God, we go on to read here in Proverbs 17. He that hath knowledge spareth his words, and a man of understanding is of an excellent spirit. Even a fool, when he holdeth his peace, is counted wise, and he that shutteth his lips is esteemed a man of understanding. So if we really do have knowledge, especially the experiential knowledge of knowing God, we come into a life that is, that is learned to possess, as it says, in the word of God, our vessel in sanctification and honor. And that's in relation to warning against the danger of being seduced by sexual lust. It's warning about the fact that our bodies are the habitation of God's spirit now. And therefore, we are not to be controlled by the temporal baits of this world. And I know, as a single person still at my age, though I'm very young in body, how easy it is for me to deceive myself and get my affections on some lady that I really like. I'm not saying it's wrong. Those things are all good desires. And I pray that some, maybe in the near future, I'll have a wife. I would love one for ministry and, of course, for fellowship. But, you know, I'm married to God, too. And if God doesn't provide it, I'm still rejoicing. I've got to that point. But how often in my life in the past as a Christian, it was such an anxiety and a struggle for me. It, I'm not saying that I still don't. I still have desires for someone as a partner. But now I know that it's not an anxiety or something that is going to eclipse my love for God because I'm believing him to lead me to the right person. But God wants us to be those that are of an excellent spirit. And that comes through purification. Now, the other chapter I received was Zechariah 13, 2-3. And this chapter, many might find very mysterious and hard to understand. But I want to share this chapter and just trust by God as I'm speaking here, seeking to speak in the spirit, what God is saying from Zechariah 13, 2 to 3, because it certainly has the understanding of purity in relation to speaking the words of God so that they come forth to be effectual and bring forth much fruit and to tear down the powers of darkness and of evil. I mean, Christ when he speaks in the book of Revelations, his voice is as the sound of a piercing trumpet, the same piercing trumpet sound that was a consuming fire on the top of Mount Sinai and spoke with such piercingness that the people that heard it said, Moses, we can't take this anymore. We feel like we're going to die. Would you just please speak to God on our behalf? And the Lord said it, they have well said, and then told that he of a prophet that would come, which was referring to Jesus Christ that would come in the future. But here we have in Zechariah, and it says, And it shall come to pass in that day, saith Yahweh of hosts, that I will cut off the names of the idols out of the land, and they shall no more be remembered. And also I will cause the prophets and the unclean spirit to pass out of the land. This is speaking to the whole land of Israel, that there's coming a time when the idols, whether they're the idols of rock stars that people worship or the idols of materialism that are certain icons and so on, 
and they shall no more be remembered. And also I will cause the prophets and the unclean spirit to pass out of the land. An unclean spirit to pass out of the land. Unclean spirits influencing people with an overarching spirit set of setting of their spirit in a state that inclines towards deception, towards selfishness, contrary to life that is corrupt. This unclean spirit will pass out of the land. And it shall come to pass that when they when any shall yet prophesy, then his father and his mother that begat him shall say unto him, Thou shalt not live, for thou speakest lies in the name of Yahweh. And his father and his mother shall thrust him through when he prophesied, because they discerned that he was speaking prophecy out of an unclean spirit, out of deception. In this day and hour, there are a lot of people that call themselves prophets and that give words over people. I am totally for all of that, but I will say very clearly that we need to see and try everything. It says we're to prove all things and hold fast to what is good. We should try everything with the fire of truth. God commended the church of Ephesus because they tried them that said they were apostles and were not and found them liars. But we're living an hour and an age when people are so far from that. They're so far from doing that. I have seen so many people that claim this and that, that claim that they experience going to heaven as real as there's someone standing in front of them and they've had a thousand trips to heaven, etc., etc. But have you tested these people? They may even have all their doctrine right. That doesn't mean a thing. The issue is, are we discerning those that are clean? Now, this seems extreme, doesn't it? I believe what God is showing from this chapter is that when he returns in the millennial reign, there will be such a close love relationship with him that is so purified and pure because of how he will deal with Israel before they come into this place with the millennial reign of Christ and with all of those that are God's people. That they would literally, if they heard or saw someone prophesying out of an unclean spirit, have such a hate. Because remember, love hates what is contrary to love. Let me explain this. God's love has integrity. It is so pure that as it were, it is a consuming fire of judgment against all that is contrary to love. Love being a quality that always chooses freely the highest lasting good over any lesser choice because any lesser choice as such would have a measure of corruption in it. This love will not condone what is the opposite of love because that is something that is corrupt and that would destroy goodness and would destroy love. So this love is a blazing fire of judgment against all that is contrary to love. It is so jealous over you to, to bring you into that close, ultimate, abundant life that goes on forever that it seeks to purge you of all the corruption when you choose to say, I choose to buy of you the gold tried in the fire. I choose to let you God judge me right now. I choose to be clay and you the potter. I choose to let you deal with me now that I might suffer and go through trials now so that I might come into that place of deep loving union with you that transcends being manipulated by the temporal circumstances and also the tempting baits that 
the powers that be of darkness and so on use to manipulate and sidetrack people's lives towards destruction. And so these people here are in their conformity to God's hate for what is corrupt and their conformity to God's love for what is good is so strong that it would be as if they would put a sword through their own son. That is how great their love for God will be in the millennial reign of Christ. That is the type of purity that will be in them that they would sacrifice their own son, as it were, if it meant that there wouldn't be corruption and purity, impurity that could spread and cause a hell-contagious spread to others. Thou shalt not live, for thou speakest lies in the name of Yahweh, and his father and his mother that begat him shall thrust him through when he prophesieth. Consider that seriously, brothers and sisters, that God does not want us to be those that speak presumptuously his word, that we speak, but we should always seek to speak as the oracles of God, but out of a pure heart, out of a pure heart, out of a pure relationship with God. If we have unconfessed sins in our lives and we go on, to try to continue to the gifts and calling of God or without repentance. He'll still use us. But remember, it says many of them, not few, but many in that time will say, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out devils? And he will say, depart from me. I never knew you. So I want to continue on here. And we read this, but he shall say, I am no prophet, I am a husband, and now this is the one here. I want to make sure there's a consistency in the verses here if it goes to verse 7. I think I should just maybe bring this up with the scripture itself in Zechariah 13, if I can quickly do that. I will go to Zechariah 13 and try to get there rather um, quickly. Zechariah, got a lot of stuff open, but we'll get there. Zechariah 13, so that I can read just a little bit more of what is in this chapter. And so we go down to verse 6, and it says, And one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thy hands? Then he shall answer, those which, which, with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. This is speaking of the Messiah. But I forgot some verses up ahead here. Let me just go to this one. I forgot this one. Continuing from where we are off, I should have read this verse. And it shall come to pass in that day that the prophets shall be ashamed every one of his vision when he hath prophesied, neither shall they wear a rough garment to deceive. No doubt, at the time Zechariah wrote this passage, it was relevant to their time as well because there were those going around pretending to be like Elijah because he became reputable for the mighty works that God used him to do, which would have been well known. So now there's all kinds of copycats that want to be like Elijah, but they haven't been purified like Elijah. And so they want to be looked up to and they're really counterfeits because their motives are impure and self-seeking. They don't even know God. But he shall say, I am no prophet. So those that are genuine will say, I'm not a prophet. I'm just a farmer for man taught me to keep cattle from my youth. And then it goes on to say this. And one shall say unto him, are these wounds in thy hands? Then he shall answer those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. So why was this one wounded? Because he was pure, because he was humble, because he didn't try to be a prophet, because his motives were pure. 
which is speaking of Christ, who, being equal, totally equal with God the Father in being, condescended and emptied out himself from all that glory to humble himself more than you, a mere creature, and to suffer more than you, a mere creature, on the cross. And so we know that he was pierced through his hands on the cross for us. He was wounded by those that wanted to be spiritual, that were those that became proud and self-righteous like the Pharisees. Who put him on the cross? The Pharisees, the religious leaders that had become proud in, out of their own self-sufficiency and righteousness. They never came to a place of entering the genuine fear of God where pride is broken. Pride is broken when you have a genuine turning in the heart to rightly receive and who God is and to identify, first of all, God in his holiness as good and acknowledge your undoneness apart from his mercy, which you can only know if you first acknowledge the holiness of God that brings you to the place of great humility that drives you in turn to the place of honesty where you acknowledge your need of God's mercy and that you, in the light of his holiness, need his mercy. And so God is calling his people to be those that recognize who is the one that we should be looking to always. It's the one that was wounded for us. And to walk as he walked and live as he lived in this world, being clothed with humility and with great love. And we go on to read here. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts. Smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered, and I will turn mine hand upon the little ones. And we know that that was fulfilled when the disciples were scattered from Christ, when they came there to take him and crucify him, and Judas betrayed him with a kiss. And so here is this prophecy of that happening hundreds of years before in the book of Zechariah. And it shall come to pass that in all the land, saith the Lord, two parts therein shall be cut off and die, but a third part shall be left. And this is referring to something that has not happened yet. The first part of this prophecy happened when Christ was betrayed. This last part here is as the nations of the world defeat Israel's military might and have now invaded the land and they've captured two-thirds of the nations and have begun to torture them. But one-third is protected and they are the ones that are in Jerusalem and so on. They are being protected by supernaturally from by the Lord. And what happens to them? Look at here what we read. And I will bring the third part through the fire and will refine them as silver is refined, and will try them as gold is tried. They shall call on my name, Yahweh, and I will hear them. I will say it is my people, and they shall say that Yahweh is my Almighty Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's literally what it's saying there. Yahweh is my Almighty it's referring to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But they go through this terrible time where their military might is broken, and it's just at that time also that the Mount of Olives splits in half. Christ returns and sets his stands in front of the Mount of Olives, and it splits in half. And of course, I have in my book the account of a Jewish lad that died and saw the Mount of Olives splitting in half and so on and didn't even know this was in the scripture because he wasn't an Orthodox Jew and he didn't know much about the scripture. And he tells about what he saw when he died to this Orthodox uh, congregation that's interviewing him after he was dead and saw the, these things happen. That's amazing. That's in my book, and you can look it up on YouTube, but you have to do a search. I can't go into the details of that now. But I'm saying here that 
What is God saying to his people right now? He is saying by his spirit, choose to buy of me the gold tried in the fire and be those that execute the purity of God's word that does not tolerate corruption in others, but in love and in meekness and a right spirit of courts. Does God want us to threat not a literal sword, of course, but a spiritual sword into our brothers and sisters? Yes. It says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. It is more important for us to speak the truth for what we know will be to their better good, even if they if they are offended at what we say and, be, and are rejected. And we experience rejection. Many of us fear rejection because our identity is too strong in one another when it should be more in the Lord so that our identity in one another is very strong and far stronger in one another because it's in the Lord in one another so that we don't know each other after the flesh but after the spirit. That's what the word of God says. Henceforth, we know no man after the flesh, even though, though we knew Christ Jesus after the flesh. Henceforth, we know him no more. Now, I want to point out to you the other scripture I received by the casting of Lot, which was probably from somewhere in Exodus, which highly confirms what I have just shared with you about purification. And this is this passage here. I forgot to put the chapter down, but it's probably in either Deuteronomy or Exodus. Then Moses stood at the gate of the camp. This is after Israel falls into idolatry. Because they don't know what's become of Moses. And they figure, well, since he's taking 40 days, my, let's just, you know, have a calf and go back to Egypt. Go back to the world. They got their, how they could do this when God was right before them with a blazing fire on the top of the mountain. I don't know. But they were really caught up and they started to strip themselves and be naked and dance in front of one another. And of course, there was immorality happening, etc., etc. And so no, Moses comes down from the mountain. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. And he said unto them, Thus saith Yahweh the Almighty's, of Israel, put every man his sword by his side and go in and out from gate to gate through the camp and slay every man his brother and every man his companion and every man his neighbor. Those were the ones that were stripped naked, were committing immorality and worshiping the calf. And it was only the tribe of Levi that was willing to be in such a conformity to God in his holiness, which is the holiness of his love, that they actually did this. And the children of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and there fell of the people that day about 3,000. For Moses said, Consecrate yourselves today to the Lord, even every man upon his son and upon his brother, that he may bestow upon you a blessing this day. And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses said unto the people, Ye have sinned a great sin, and now I will go unto Yahweh. Peradventure I shall make an atonement for your sin. He's wanting to stand in the grab that God would have mercy and not destroy the whole nation. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. Yet now if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book, which thou hast written. Can you imagine him asking that? That's how much he cared for these people that committed such rebellion. And the Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever hath sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. we got to be careful, brothers and sisters, to understand that we are before a holy God. I know People say that when we are born again, we're like the prodigal son that's come home. The father totally embraces us, and that is true. And we are his children, and God loves us, and he doesn't just easily let go of us and forsake us. No, it's when we choose to jump out of his hand and rebel. 
God says that he will keep us. But if we choose out of our own will some temporal desires and things of, of fulfillment, then we are putting ourselves in jeopardy. Because it wouldn't say to the church of Sardis that those that have, that, that those that have been written in the book of life, it says, I will not blot out their names out of the book of life that have not defiled their garments in the church of Sardis. Well, there are many in the church of Sardis that defiled their garments. Therefore, their names were blotted out of the book of life, even though they were probably at one time God's children. That's very clear there. Because obviously, if your name is in the book of life, you're his child. And it says there very clearly that only those that have not defiled their garments. So if we have unconfessed sin and we continue in it, and we harden our heart to the point that we never want to return, we are defiled. And that is serious. And that can, we need to be aware of the importance of purity and of being our brother's keeper, to speak the truth to them, to keep them pure, out of a right spirit of meekness and love. And the Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever hath sinned against me, him will I blot out of the book brought out of my book therefore now go lead the people unto the place which i have spoken unto thee behold mine angel shall go before thee nevertheless in the day when i visit i will visit their sin upon them and the lord plagued the people because they made the calf which aaron made which was an idol so god is saying to his people today that he's calling us to be purified and to speak prophetically out of the pure words of God because we are living a pure life of holiness without garments where we're de deceiving ourselves to justify sin. And I know many people, this happens. I am concerned for certain people very much that I know personally. I don't know, I'd like to share a lot more, you know, but I guess if I don't mention the person's name, you know, I know someone that's had really obvious mental problems because of probably a vaccine they took back in 1957. There were certain vaccines that were really bad that damaged a lot of people's health. This person was probably damaged by it. So I understand that, but they start to believe things that are totally false about me and say that I was stealing punch of money from that which is totally false I never stole from anyone ever once in my life have I ever stole from anyone and here they're accusing me of stealing ten thousand dollars and all this stuff and then speaking behind my back and accusing me in front of people and then probably spreading it to the church and yet there's no one to help her still and she lives nearby and I recognize it's her mind and that it's probably some kind of schizophrenia because she's even afraid now to let me in her room. And yet here I spent all kinds of my money, to uh, my own personal money, to help her get her teeth replaced. Thousands of dollars I spent on her through the years, many thousands, and paying her mobile phone bill for the last 10 years, uh, including the phone. Done all this and she would believe that about me and falsely accuse me in front of others is very offensive. And I've confronted her and said, well, this is not true, you need to repent, but she won't. And and I feel like, am I compromising to help her? But if I don't help her, there's no one there to help her because she's got a degenerate hip. And, and so I'm praying that God would give me wisdom because I care for her still and my heart's broken that she's somehow believing, obviously, things that are way beyond, it's a kind of a schizophrenia. She's afraid to let me in her room. She thinks I'm going to steal from her. And she thinks a lot of other people are doing that. So she's believing all kinds of things that aren't reality. And that is a kind of, it's kind of a mixture of a chronic obsessive disorder with schizophrenia. But it's really bad when she's, when I found even other evidences that she's been telling other people these things. So, I don't know what to do about that, but I'm praying that God would somehow give me the ability. I realized when I tried to cast demons out of her, I didn't. I, I should have said, I'm not talking to you, 
I'm talking to the demons behind you. And that's what I'm going to do if this happens another time. Maybe God will use me to cast out the demonic influences there that may have been a factor also. But I pray for her, and I, because she seems to have a really good heart, but my, she's so being used unknowingly by the enemy, right? And all I can say is it's concerning. And then now, so I'm just praying that you would uh, support me in prayer. On top of that, I am trying to pay off my debt, and I have found out that you can do a consumer proposal loan, so that started, although the collection agency is going to be after me soon, but I'm not worried about it. They can't really do much. And that's a long story. So I'm needing support. So if you want to purchase my book on Amazon, Afterlife Incredible Irrefutable, the other one is God, Headship, and Body Invasion that tells everything about what you can do to um, really bring a new order in your church that will not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from inhabiting your local assembly. This is the key to conquering your nation and the nation's in this hour of impending crisis. It is that we never go back to being the church the way we, we were. We must have, and I talk about that new order in other videos that you can see, as well as in the book, God, Headship, and Body Invasion. So that's another one you can buy on Amazon. And I have three books up there. The other one is Evolution, Delusion, Solution, but that's just a very small book. Um, so... Thank you for listening to this message. And at loverealized.com also I have there a place where you can send in support to help me get out of this debt, which was from bad business decisions, trying to set up stores and all this COVID happened. And then on top of it, domain names and other things over time. I should have received an inheritance of $93,000. That was unjustly taken from me as well. So all of these things I'm not concerned about. I'm concerned right now to get together with people and mobilize to call churches together to fast and pray in each town and city across this nation and then to come into this new order, which is described in my book, where we don't limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from inhabiting local assemblies. So thank you for listening to this message. God bless you all.